Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I am your host, as always, Robbie Burke. And before we get into today's show, I just want to give a shout out to all of our show sponsors. Firstly, upmentorship.com, which is one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. The Ultimate Performance Mentorship is 20 hours of top class online video strength and conditioning information available for instant access right at your fingertips. To find out more, head over to upmentorship.com, which is linked up in the show notes. Check it out and help support the show. Secondly, I want to give a shout out to Altus360 and the Altus Foundation Coaching Course, which are two outstanding online resources for any practitioner in the sports preparation profession. Be sure to head over to the show notes and check out these unique platforms. Thirdly, I want to give a huge shout out to Joseph Johnson at Ultimate Athlete Concepts. Ultimate Athlete Concepts is a multifaceted company providing the most sophisticated scientific material in sports science. Ultimate Athlete Concepts is the world's leading resource for translated sports preparation educational material. Next, I want to give a shout out to Papi's National Sports Performance Association, which is an online certification platform for professionals within the sports preparation profession. Currently, the NSPA has four certifications available. Speed and Agility, delivered by Lee Taft. Olympic Weightlifting, delivered by Will Fleming. Nutrition, delivered by Dr. Chris Moore. And Program Design, delivered by Coach Robert Dos Remedios. For more information on the NSPA, be sure to check out all the links in the show notes. Finally, I want to thank another brainchild of Pat Beast, Athletes Acceleration, which is another online medium that delivers excellent continuing educational resources for strength and conditioning professionals. And just like with all of our other sponsors, you can check out the show notes to get links to all the available products that Athletes Acceleration has to offer. A full disclosure, except for Altus 360 and the Altus Foundation Coaching Course, I am an affiliate to all of the show sponsors. Lastly, before today's interview, I just wanted to let all listeners know that the podcast is now on Patreon. If you feel like you are in a position to support the show, I would truly appreciate any donations you would be willing to make to help support the podcast. Okay, that's enough rambling. Let's get into today's interview. This episode's guest is Dan Victor from Wanna Get Fast. Dan owns and operates Wanna Get Fast Power and Speed Training, which is a sports performance training business in Rochester, New York and Tampa, Florida that offers training to elite athletes. Dan's clients have included pro hockey players, Olympic track and field athletes, pro baseball players and MMA fighters, as well as coaching athletes in all sports from all over the country. Dan is also in two different halls of fame for his own athletic prowess in football. On this episode, Dan and I discussed many, many topics. We discussed Dan's background. Dan shares with us his personal and professional influences, which included people such as Dr. Jack Cruz, Jay Schroeder, Mel Siff, Louis Simmons, Charlie Francis, Douglas Heal, and the infamous D.B. Hammer. What are the good and not so good things that Dan currently sees within the physical preparation profession? And what solutions would he offer for the not so good things that he is seeing? Dan shares with us his training philosophy, which is train the brain and learn to accept force. 
Dan gives us an in-depth insight into his entire training system. Dan shares with us the story of when Louis Simmons came to his facility to help Louis with some rehabilitation. Dan talks about the importance of chondrolateral movements for brain health. Dan shares with us his jump assessment protocol to see how well an athlete can accept and express force. Dan and I discuss some of the concepts around the nervous system and endocrine system adaptations with training and how these adaptations influence planning and periodization. Dan takes us through how he would design a 12-week program for a hypothetical high-level American football player. Dan discusses the role that isometrics play within his training system. Dan also speaks about how he incorporates vision training into his training system. Then Dan goes on and shares with us how he uses isometrics and vision training simultaneously within his training programs. Dan discusses how he tries to respect circadian rhythms within his training programs. Dan and I discuss how strength as a biomotor quality can be enhanced through many, many means, not just from weight training. Dan talks about how using extremely slow movements can enhance motor learning. Dan speaks about how he uses color stimulation through the eyes to enhance athletic preparation. Wrapping up, Dan gives his top resources and advice to all the listeners. And finally, if Dan could invite five people to dinner, dead or alive, who would he invite and why? Guys, this was an absolutely outstanding episode with Dan. Absolutely jam-packed with information. And I hope you really, really enjoy it. Okay, Coach Dan Victor, it is an absolute pleasure at last to finally get you on to my podcast. This is something that we've been trying to uh, arrange for a while now, so it's finally great to get you on the other end of the phone. Dan, just for the listeners who might be too familiar with who you are, just fill us in on your background. Oh, boy. Uh, I'm a regular old coach. Um, I'm a research junkie, um, and I, I try to try to find ways to make my world of training athletes uh, the fastest way, the fastest, fastest way to get it done. And um, what we're realizing is sometimes all the things you've learned have to change. And uh, you got to keep up with, uh, you got to sleep with one eye open with the research. That's for sure. And hmm. um, so currently in terms of your, coaching uh you coach at a high school and you have a facility too is that correct i do i have a facility in upstate new york in pittsburgh new york um and it's actually housed with a neurological chiropractor office um so we do a lot of work together in the gym um, on the therapy side so that's always fun and then uh i teach physical education at a local high school part-time and um and i coach high school football i coach high school track um, have been doing so on and off for the last 20 some odd years. And in terms of your own athletic background, I, I believe I heard you on Joel Smith's podcast say that you were a three sport athlete. And if they let you play five sports, you, you would have done it. So what, what sports again did you play growing up, Dan? Um, favorite sports basketball, but uh, the, the, I'm vertically challenged. So I had to end up playing <laughs> football, was able to play, yeah, was able to play and make a little money at it. Um, but then uh, running into guys that are twice your size, you don't last very long, no matter what you're doing. You know, it's, um, it's funny you so, it's funny you mention like running into guys because I'm currently just watching through that movie Concussion. Uh, so uh, huh. 
that that's kind of uh, yeah. top of mind awareness right now. But go ahead. Yeah. It, well, when you mentioned that that movie, um, I, I think that's where we're you know everybody talks about the negativity around concussions and all that stuff, and and I, and I agree. I agree. There's a lot of research out there supporting all kinds of things in the in the football world, but I also think it's opened our eyes to how powerful the brain is and how we can utilize that to our benefit when we're training athletes. So, you know, you can always take a positive out of a negative. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to be honest, that's probably a, if a core belief of mine to always uh, perceive a negative as a, as a positive, because I mean, the universe works in contrast. So you wouldn't know a positive if there was no negative. So it all comes down to perception, which, We'll definitely talk about in this podcast in terms of the brain and perception when it comes to optimal training results. So, Dan, a, yep. a, a question I love to ask every guest that comes on because I'm always intrigued uh, to ask this question of every guest. In terms of your biggest influences, who have been the biggest influences on you, not only professionally as a coach and as a physical uh, education teacher, but also personally too in your life? So, biggest influences professionally and personally. Oh, boy. I, I got to tell you, of all the guys you probably talked to, I, I'm the guy that I, I've been influenced by so many great people, whether they be researchers, um, teachers, coaches. Um, you, you know, I, I'm a big, like when, when people ask me my favorite football team, I'm saying, who are my two favorite coaches? And, the, and those are my favorite football teams. Um, guys like Dr. Cruz. Um, Dr. Kerry Egan in the neurology department, Dr. Heikotter, Peter Gillette. There's so many names out there. Even my best friend, Chris Corfus, huge impact on the way I deal with people, um, handle athletes, devise training programs. Um, there's too many to mention, to be honest with you. And I've learned something from everyone along the way. Um, when you say Dr. Cruz, is that Dr. Jack Cruz? It is. Oh, I know Jack well. I had, Jack, I had Jack on the podcast too. So you're kind of into the the mitohacking team, the mitochondriacs? The mitochondriacs, yeah. Uh, I'm not so far into that. But, um, you know, here's, here's what I've learned. That no matter what system or person you're studying, there's always connections back to your foundations. Mm. Uh, and I'll give you an example. I'm... I'm going to my dentist and he's working on my mouth and he was talking about shoveling the driveway in sub-zero cold. So I begin to speak and he has a link that he's, he goes, wait, 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 I've heard that before, cold thermogenesis. And I'm like, yeah, I, you know, talked to a doctor, Dr. Cruz, but he goes, I went to dental school with him. He's one of my good friends. No way. I'm like, holy cow. So my world constantly collides and, and comes together with a lot of from Eastern medicine, Western medicine, to being in the gym, stimulating your vestibular system, everything from a reflex standpoint, everything comes together and it comes full circle all the time. Absolutely. No, I've been, uh, it's funny because when I first came across Jack's work, you know, back in like 2011 when he first started to blog, my science wasn't up to scratch to be able to tell if this guy was legit or not. But the more science yeah. I, I've learned over the last few years, the more I realize that like everything he says is, is pretty, is pretty legit. Um, you know, just even like learning things like the electron transport chain and the respiratory proteins and the 
inner mitochondrial mem- membrane and, and how electromagnetic frequencies can really like fuck that up and lead to accelerated aging and just all that type of stuff. But yeah, he's a he's definitely a he's definitely a guy who's well ahead of his time. But uh, I know you've you've uh, this time last year actually, Dan. I was in Arizona and I was lucky enough to meet up with Jay Schroeder. I know he's been a big influence on you too. So, uh, what what specifically would you have taken away from your time with Jay? Oh, Jay's brilliant. Um, well, Jay's given me two things. Uh, actually, he's given me way more than two things. But two things that are take home for me. Number one is is when you pose a question, you better know why you're asking the question, what mm. you want that answer to be, where it's going to end up influencing you in other areas of your life, and um, you better put the work in to be able to say that this works, that doesn't work, and all that stuff. So that was number one. He, he was hard on me when I was learning from him, which. I thank him for number two is isometrics why we do isometrics are isometrics actually isometrics are they really slow eccentrics and from that standpoint that's crossed over into the neurology training that I'm doing in terms of using the eyes with isometric positions and all that stuff so again fields collide and you always come back to these brilliant minds in their areas I want to formulate a program that encompasses all from Dr. Cruz's mitochondria health to Jay Schroeder's isometrics to adding the neurological value of adding your eyes and eye saccades to your isometric work to enhance the motor learning process. So it's a constant, constant research battle to join these fabulous minds together. You know, you sound, uh, you sound like someone who's a kindred spirit, um, with me because that's how I would sort of view myself um, I suppose how I would phrase it is I'm an innovator not an inventor so I like to research all these different individuals and all these sort of related fields and kind of connect dots together so uh, I'd be very similar no to question. yeah be very similar to yourself so we have uh, you said Dr. Cruz uh, Jay Schroeder I know Charlie Francis I think you said before has been a big influence and obviously Douglas Heal Maybe touch into like how Douglas kind of came into your life. Ah, boy. Okay, so how did I meet Douglas? So um, a buddy of mine from France asked me if I've ever heard of his work. I said, absolutely not. This was probably 10 years ago. Hmm. Um, he said, look into it. So I looked into it, found Douglas. I flew out to London, <laughs> took a course with him, spent a couple of days with him. And said, this is unbelievable. This is where I want to be. Um, learned a great deal in those few days I was out there. Had him come out to my facility in the United States. And then from that point, for me, it becomes, you have to take that research, you have to take that application, and then you have to continue to move. And, you know, he hooked up with Chris Corfus and, and Cal Dietz and those guys, and, and they've, they've taken that reflexive performance to another level. And that's awesome. I, I wanted to keep moving into the, the neurological values of that style of training. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it's a constant movement for me. And my only thing is there's not enough time. Not enough time in the day to get it all read, to get it all on paper. Um, but I love that, Chase. And what did uh, what did the docs um, in the neuro, in the chiropractic clinic what did they um, think of Douglas's material? They, they they sat and watched and were like, 
in utter disbelief of, of some of the things that he was doing in the gym and on the therapy table with people. Mm. And they, they were already wondering when I came back from London and I'm showing them, um, what is this? And it, it's funny <laughs> because Dr. Lucky and I met from a, from a mutual friend that I trained his son and he said, you two guys got to meet. So he comes in and I've had tons of chiropractors come into my facility and want to merge and join. And in the normal chiropractic world, I don't agree with much of what they do. So when Dr. Lucky came into me, he asked me, well, what is it that you disagree with? And, and what is it that you believe? So I talked to him a little bit about where I learned, and that's kind of where Jay Schroeder comes in. Mm -hmm. So this doctor, Dr. Lucky, flew out to Minnesota, learned from Dr. Jay, and came back and said, you know what? From a neurological standpoint, I got to change a lot of stuff I'm doing in my chiropractic practice. Yeah. When he said that to me, I said, okay, now I'm ready. You're the guy I want to join with. And, and from that point on, it's been a constant. He's gone the Carrick route. He's gone um, when Carrick split. He went with the other group. And he's, his research has taken off on that end. And my world in the strength and conditioning has kind of taken off that way. And we kind of merge in the middle. And we meet in the gym, some with his patients, some with my athletes. And we're doing the same things. I'm enhancing movement. He's getting people to move. Mm -hmm. Same stuff. Worlds collide. And Dr. Lucky, I was just saw his profile there. Like he's he's not that old too. He's young enough, isn't he? Yeah, he's he's uh, middle thirties. He's a great guy, and he's brilliant. And did you um, did you just say again, did you just say that that he he spent time with Jay? He flew out to Jay. Did you say that? Doctor Doctor Jay Pietella. Okay. So doctor, okay. Yeah. Yep. Okay, I get you. So, I get you. So J there's a whole I mean, there's so much history behind the influence of, of my like if you watched me train somebody, you'd say, Well, there's Charlie, there's Jay, there and you'll see all these different worlds mm. come together in one program. I get um, you. Yeah. It's funny because I if someone calls about Jay, I'd probably spent some of the most time with Jay that that any people have around the country. And then if someone calls about Charlie, I've researched Charlie, met Charlie, I've spent a ton of time. There's so many different people, but I don't use a lot of Charlie's actual training stuff mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. I heard you say that too, yeah, on, on Joel's podcast. And uh, another yeah. sort of intriguing person that I'd love you to uh, to uh, fill us in on was um, Mel Siff and the time you spent with Mel. Yeah, you talk about a brilliant mind. Um, I hear. I heard he was. Came into, I heard he was crazy as fuck, though. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, but but again, those are the people. Like he, you know, he he had said to me, um, "You think you want to learn, right?" That's what Jay said too. Well, show me how you want to learn. So I flew out there, end up on his doorstep. I remember he uh, three o'clock in the morning. My flight got in because it was delayed for some reason and. I'm like, can somebody pick me up at the airport? He's like, you want me to pick you up at the airport? I'm like, well, can somebody? No, you'll figure out how to get here. That's like, I've never been to your house. Here's your address. You figure it out. That sounds like Jay, all right. <laughs> but so, so when I met Mel, um, spent some good time with him, went down in his basement that was a, a library of stuff. And uh, he said, I, I don't know what I was at the time. I was maybe 25, 26 years old. He said, okay, what's your passion? I said, explosive weight training. He said, okay, 
see this side of the room? I'm like, yep. He goes, I want you to, I want you to thumb through all these books over here. They're probably just 500 books. So I go over to the side, I pull the first three books out of the shelf and they're all about aerobic training. And I'm like, no, this is bullshit. I don't want to read this stuff. This is bullshit. This is the stuff I can't stand. He goes, that's why you need to learn it. Yeah. I'm like, what are you talking about? This stuff sucks. He's like, if you think you know something, study the exact opposite so you can argue your case. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, that kind of makes sense, but I really don't want to do that. But he, he kept me down there. You read this shit and then you come back and tell me what you know about it. And then we'll talk about explosive training. So with Mel, it was opening up your mind to everything. And, and you know, it was awesome meeting him. Awesome. And finally, uh, before I move on to our next question, then we're going to get into a lot of uh, specifics around sort of the areas I feel that you, you're a real expert in. Um, tell us about the great DB Hammer. Like what, what, so there's so many, you know, myths and legends. Was it, <laughs> was it Jay Schroeder in disguise? Was he an actual person? And then it's kind of like, who really cares? His information was great. Yeah, I, I'll tell you this. He's not Jay Schroeder. Because mm-hmm. DB, whether it be an email exchange or talking to Brad Nuttall on the telephone, never screamed and yelled at me. Jay screamed and yelled. Um, <laughs> and and really, if you look at the philosophy of training and and how they wrote out program methodology, completely different. Yeah. Um, did they have some of the same ideas? Sure. Yep. Force, you know, force absorption, all that stuff. Sure. But completely different. Now, on, on the other side, I'm not quite sure who he was. But when Chris and I met him through the internet and began to open up lines of discussion with him, there isn't a person who was more um, complete with his answers, um, and talked about a system more than him. I mean, he was the real deal. Yeah. So to me, when it comes to learning, that's all that matters to me. And uh, do you think, uh, do you think you'll ever publish your tree ring binder from? <laughs> Actually, I think, I think, um, Chris is selling some of that stuff on his website. Yeah. yeah he, I, sa- he says I, that, but I can never find it. And then, uh, I got like I think Joel Joel Smith like he got he had like a PDF but it was only a few pages so I don't know if Chris ever did anything with it in the end. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought he was, but but I have so much stuff from him. It's crazy. Like I've had people come out to my facility just to look through the three ring folder. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably crazy. I'd probably be one as well when they all come all the way from Ireland just just to read the binders, the famous binders. It's like uh, no, it's, I want to come there. I want to come there. Oh, I want to come there. Well, you then you better. Me? You better bring the binders then. Will, will, will you be able to get through uh, customs or, or they, 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 they might they might add a lot of uh, weight to your luggage, so you might have to pay a lot for them. That's the only thing. Seriously, it'll cost me more money to fly those things over there than come over and see you in person. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's fantastic stuff. So, Dan, uh, last, last sort of uh, general question, and then we'll get into specifics. Uh, I asked this of all the guests, so... Um, in, in terms of the good and the not-so-good things that you see within the physical preparation, strength and conditioning, whatever sort of title you want to give it, um, in terms of the good and not-so-good things you're seeing within in the professional physical preparation, what are the good things you currently see and what are the not-so-good things you currently see? And with the not-so-good, with, with the not-so-good, what sort of solutions would you offer? So basically the good, the bad, and the ugly, and then for the for the bad and the ugly, what sort of solutions would you put forth? <laughs> um, I, I think the bad is when you um, 
pigeonhole yourself into one theory um, of, of what makes an athlete better. Um, mm-hmm. Whether it be you're a powerlifting coach or you are a Olympic lifting coach and you believe that is the only way to roam. Um, I think that's a huge problem. Yeah. But in the same breath, the more and more teams I consult with and the people I talk to, they're starting to open up their minds. Yeah. Um, and I always, I always tell people this story. I have a guy who comes into my facility who trains athletes separately. We don't do any of the same. Well, I shouldn't say any. We don't do most of the same things. He is an Olympic caliber weightlifting coach. He can teach the clean, the snatch, and all those things better than anybody I've ever seen. He's a good friend of mine. We talk constantly about Olympic lifting. And one day he asked me, he's like, why, why do you not Olympic lift? I said, I like it. I do. I, I, but I don't have time to teach it like you do. I don't have time to teach a professional athlete how to do Olympic lifting and be perfect at it. So if I can't do that, I'm going to look at the fundamental beliefs behind it and what makes it work. And I'm going to dumb it down to where I can use exercises that get the same thing. Mm. And he looked at me, he's like, that makes sense. And then we started to talk about Olympic weightlifting. He goes, well, you know all about it. I'm like, well, yeah, I had to study that to realize that I can't use it. So to me, that's one of the biggest downfalls in our business is that people get, you know, you'll have to, I'm a Charlie Francis guy. That's awesome. Charlie was great. One of the brightest minds in the world. But if that's not something that's feasible in your area of the country to work on, I can't run outside all the time. I'm in Western New York where there's a foot of snow that fell last night. I have to figure out how to get guys faster without running outside sometimes. So um, don't pigeonhole yourself into one style of, of, of training. And then that's the same positive as I'm going around now seeing people understand and listen to what people used to say to me. Well, that's voodoo. Yeah. That doesn't work. That can't work. That's crazy. Well, yeah, guess what? Our human body, nobody knows anything about it. We're just learning every day. Jack Cruz will tell you there's things that he doesn't know. But if you stop and close that door to learning, you're going to be so far behind in 10 minutes that it won't be worth catching up. Great stuff. Great stuff. Couldn't agree more. So, Dan, I want to move into the next question I want to ask. And these questions are going to be a little more centered around your sort of coaching philosophy and your systems and means and methods. So if I was supposed to question you, what is your overarching training philosophy? What would your answer be? You better train the brain. Mm-hmm. You better teach the body to absorb huge amounts of force. And um, I think that's it. Because if, you're, if your training is not addressing the brain, you're shutting down your reflex system. Yeah. Your reflex system is what drives all movement. Yeah. Okay. If, if you're not absorbing force, you can't possibly create it. So with those two things, I think it, it, it the overarching philosophy covers everything because your brain is definitely a part of all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would, uh, given my study over the last year in terms of the brain and I think we sort of maybe spoke about this before we went online that a lot of a lot of my thought process around training now is this idea of the brain and the threat response and sort of as I say we're trying to decrease the brain's threat response to training 
and we're trying to raise its threshold so that competition or the competition environment that we're trying to prepare for is actually it actually becomes a sub-maximal threat to the brain because we brought it to the levels that far exceeded that within, within training. So I think, like, as you were saying there as well, to be able to... I, I, I for, for, whatever, for whatever reason this is me, I never say absorb force because absorb force to me always gives me the image of a really slow athlete. I always say accept force. That gives me the uh, image of, like, a real stiff, springy athlete. They can accept that force and recoil it and reuse it. Absorb to me always more mm-hmm. reminds, reminds me of a sponge soaking... You know, so you get you get those athletes who like land and they're just like they like they're like a melting candle. It's like, nope, you're not athletic. So I I always say accept, yeah. but I I understand what you're saying. That's fantastic, and I love people who can kind of articulate their philosophy in in only just a few words or sentences and not have to give a big dissertation. So that's fantastic. Dan, and, and you know what? When you say when you say something like accepting force or whatever that is, I I, see, I listen to that stuff because it's kind of like a football coach saying, um, we're going to work on. Um, turnovers or fumbles. We're going to work on, um, we don't call them turnovers. We don't call them fumbles. We call them takeaways. Mm. We want to take the ball from you, right? Same thing. It's still a turnover. But if, if the thought process is I'm taking the ball away from your team, that's a different mentality. So when you say something with just a change in the word to the brain, it accepts that sound bite. Now, guess what? That's different. I like that. Yeah. Big time. Um, if I was to show up in your facility as a brand new athlete, I walk in and I want you to train me. Say I'm a, I'm a high school football player, just to give some context. How what happens? Like what happens from day one? Like bring us through that journey. Well, we go through um, an evaluation process that basically I'm trying to find your compensation patterns. I try to find out how you drive your movement, where your movement comes from, um, strengths weaknesses, um, your ability to absorb force. Like you said, mentioning you, you drop, do you drop like a sponge or do you drop is a rebound to your system when you do drop. And based off of that visual, when you do that is going to be where I would train you along that line. So that's, that's part of the, the intake process. And then the other part is, is where are you mentally in your training and what have you been doing? Because if you've been a guy who's been bench pressing and squatting, I'm going to sit you down and I'm going to show you exactly what benching and squatting does to you. And again, this is, Chris gets a lot more negativity for this than I do. You know, people will get on Chris and say, oh, you don't squat and you don't do this. And I believe in weight training and, and, and heavy weight training. I do believe in that. But I also believe there's processes that happen that there are negative consequences. And you have to be able to battle those negative consequences to make weight training ideal for performance. And what I'll do is I'll show somebody in a squat, if you do four or five squats, I muscle tested you before and you do four or five squats and I muscle test you after it'll shut your nervous system off. Yeah. Shut it right down. Cause it's a bilateral movement. The brain does not like that. Now I didn't say the brain won't get stronger or your muscles won't get stronger from doing that, but temporarily it causes a shutdown in your system. So you'll see that my guys, if they're doing a bilateral movement, they'll follow it with some type of cross crawl pattern to restore the brain activity. Interesting. Um, Very interesting. So, yeah. So, so, and that's the first thing I'll do at a clinic when I'm talking is I'll show someone, okay, show me your squat. They'll do a squat. I'll muscle test them. Boom. They'll be strong. They do four or five, just free squats, bilateral movement. 
I'll muscle test it again, muscles, boom, shut right off. Then I'll have them march in place. Muscle test them again, boom, rock. So why not add that into your program? If you're doing some type of bilateral weightlifting, strength training in the bench press, follow that with some type of cross-crawl movement so the brain can have what it likes. And are you basing that off just the evidence of doing those tests or are you basing off the observation you make with the test plus like some of the work from like Sheridan, like the classic, like, you know, work that came out in 1901? Like, is that kind of where you're, like, is that, is that where you're, is that where you're getting that confidence to speak like that saying like this, this is fact, like, like this actually happens. Absolutely. Sheridan was the first person to figure that out. But um, if you just like, and again, I talk about worlds colliding. I had Louis Simmons come into my gym. He wanted to get something fixed. Louis Simmons came and to your Louis Simmons came to your gym. Yeah, actually, when he called me, I hung up on him because I thought it was one of my friends busting my balls. Holy shit! Louis Simmons like never leaves Westside. <laughs> I know you're telling me. And then I had him at my house, and I I I used to live on the lake, and I'm I'm pulling into my house. He's like, "Where are you going?" Like I'm, I'm going to my house. He goes, I, I, I'm not going in that house. You live on the water. I go, Louie, I don't live in the water. I live on the water. He goes, well, that's too damn close. I'm like, there's a beach. There's 50 foot of grass. What are you talking about? That's You're sleeping hilarious. in a bed. No, take me to the hotel. That's anyway, hilarious. So, oh, he's hysterical. Anyways, his wife said, You're the only person on speed dial on his phone. So he comes out. And I told him, I said, here's the deal. He said, well, what do you charge for to fix me? I'm like, well, first of all, I, I'm not a healthcare practitioner, so I'm, I'm going to fix you doing different stuff. So I said, if you, if you show my guy some stuff in the gym, well, it'll be a wash. Okay, no problem. So he was doing sled pulling with my guys outside. Yeah. And I was videotaping him when he was doing it, and he was pulling the sled. I'm like, Louie, do you watch the way you same, 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 like, seen him. Yeah. Yeah, I seen it. I seen yeah. it. There's a video yeah. on YouTube and you say, "Man, same leg," and I was like, "Oh, something's wrong there." Yeah. I, and I'm like, "Louis, that's wrong." Is what do you mean? I'm not doing it wrong. This is the best way to pull a sled. I'm like, "No, that's not right." And if you look at his world, he's a bilat. He just moves the way he moves. Yeah. That's a sign of mental retardation. Mm-hmm. So you're down regulating your nervous system. So much to the fact that you're shutting off your reflex, your cross-crawl concept. But then again, think about Louis's whole life. It's just been bilateral. I mean, like his, his... No question. Like that's just been, he's like, he's squatted, like how many times has he squatted in his life and for how long and how oh. many decades? Yep. So he knows nothing different. He said, well, wh- what would you do to cure that? So actually, five minutes a day, you walk into your gym, stand against the wall and do a cross-crawl march. Well, that's crazy. Well, do it. Because you can't override that pattern that you've had for so long. No wonder your injuries never get fixed. And, and then we go into another world. Your injuries are so hard to fix because your pattern runs so strong that you have to disturb homeostasis twice as much to, to fix the problem. Mm. And he looked at me and he's like, I never thought of it like that. I said, hell yeah, you're strong. You're strong as fuck in the wrong way. Yeah. So how the hell am I going to fix that? So you fix that over time and you fix that with restoring your brain. So he would do that. And he called me a couple weeks later. He goes, I got to tell you, I don't know if this has anything to do with it. All my lifts went up. All I've been doing different is cross crawl marching. How many years ago was that? So, oh, I'm going to say, and I was, I was talking to, <laughs> to uh, 
to JL about this. I was taught uh, probably five or six years ago. Wow. Because uh, I'd know Louis. Maybe, uh, maybe more. Uh, I, I'd know Louis fairly well, even though he probably wouldn't know. You know, Louis doesn't remember you. He, he'll remember your list, sorry, but he won't remember you, your name ring. But I, I, I was just about to say to that, I was laughing with JL about that. He goes, Louis said he never went to Rochester. I'm like, are you kidding me? He's in my facility. I have pictures of him. Yeah, yeah. He's so, like, no, he said he never went there. That's because <laughs> he doesn't want anyone to know he actually left Westside. Because a lot of people ask him like, to do seminars. He's like, I never leave Westside. But uh, yeah. I, I, I was lucky enough, I got to spend two days with Louis back in 2015. So I've been to Westside and spent some time with him. He's a great guy. I know Tom Barry very well, his right-hand man, because Tom's an Irishman. Tom kind of runs That's up. the guy from Ireland. Yeah, when I went out to Westside, so I, I brought Dr. Lucky out there after he came up to see me. And uh, I took Dr. Lucky, and we went out to Westside. You met Tom? Louis' big thing was there's this style of training, nobody gets hurt, but the line was out the door for Dr. Lucky and I. I'm like, if nobody gets hurt, why is everybody hobbling in here? <laughs> well, at the, at the, uh, listen, at the same time, if you're putting thousands of pounds on your back, you know, there's going to be some consequences. There ain't no free lunches with that shit. But, but in the same breath, he'll tell you, like an injury, like tearing a tricep off a bone. That's not an injury. We can bench press the next day with that. Even well, yeah, have you ever heard the story about Louis when he got his he got he got a just what did he do? He, he fucking, I can't remember exactly what happened, but when he was in the hospital, he had that allergic reaction and then he had to get trait. And then uh, when they the brought tubes, yeah. Yeah, and then when they brought him out yep. of the hospital, fucking Chuck Fuggerpool brought him back to the gym and he had a tube in his bleeding throat and he goes, I'm Max Bench that day. It's just like, holy shit. All right, <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's the best. Uh, I he's when, I brought, when I brought Dr. Lucky out there with me, we're driving up there and I said, listen, when you get in there, do not. Because Dr. Lucky's not a big lifting guy, and he's he's just an awesome guy. So we're driving out and said, please don't lift when you go in there. I said, because you benching 225 is going to be an absolute joke. So don't go in there. These guys bench 600, and you're not even allowed in the gym unless you bench 500. He's That's like, okay. Nice. So I've started to talk to Louie. I look out of the corner of my eye, and five of the guys grabbed Dr. Lucky and got him over in the corner doing the bamboo bench with their things, and I'm like, oh, my God, they're going to kill him. They must have had 200 pounds on the bamboo bench with those rubber bands hanging off of it, he almost killed himself. They, fuck, they fucking do that all the time. Because when I went to see Shane, <laughs> when I went to see Shane Sweat across the conjugate, he did the same thing. And they, and they know well what they're doing. They're like, they're like, here, have a go at this oh, bar. Yeah. They're like, have a go at this bar. And they're all like winking at each other. Like, you know what I mean? And he was like, ah, yep. what's going on? Yep. But so then just yep. uh, but, but back to uh, our question there. So I, I go in, this, so we were talking about the assessment there before we digress into the bilateral um, yep. information. So I go in. So that, that assessment, you're going to ask about my history. With the with the jump profile you mentioned there, like what height box are you? do you usually standardize that to? I, I ask him, you know, what's your vertical jump? Your vertical jump's 24 inches. You should be able to absorb force when you drop off of a 24-inch box fairly well. Mm, okay. You know, okay. And, and when people talk about plyometrics, well, how do you know where to start? Well, if you can jump 14 inches, you can drop off a 14-inch box. And, and, uh, and part of my philosophy, oh, go philosophy ahead. Go, is, go ahead. is if you want to learn how to jump 40 inches in the air, you better be able to land safely from 40 inches mm, in the air. Right? Yeah, so, you know, that's training your brain. And so right, we, we have that sort of jump assessment or if you like force absorption assessment. Is there anything else you're doing in terms, do you do any movement screening? Do you do a, just a general warm-up to look at movement? Do you do any orthopedics? Is there anything from Douglas Heel you like to look at on the table? Is there anything aside from that? Do you consider any lifestyle stuff like nutrition or sleep or circadian rhythms? Or is it mainly just kind of more neurological sort of inputs and outputs you're looking for? 
Well, when they, I have them, what I do is I tell them to warm up the way you've been coached to warm up mm. and I watch them. And, and at this point in my career, um, I don't have to go through the basic mobility tests or flexibility tests to see. I can pretty much tell based off of how somebody's warming up where their deficiencies are. Now, just, um, just, just, just for you go on there, because I hear that answer and it kind of drives me a bit nuts because people all say, oh, I just look at a warm-up and I know what's wrong with them. And it's like, but a warm-up can't tell you something is a mobility issue or a motor control issue. Yeah, but you can, like if you take a look at someone who's been heavy in the weight room and the way their foot strikes the ground when they run. Like for me, one of the best sports to coach is track and field, but it's one of the worst things to watch people coach. When they talk about, let's say an athlete that's running on their heels and you'll hear the coach run on the balls of your feet. No shit. Do you really think he's running on his heels to piss you off? Yes, the body he's running on his heels, right, because his body won't let him. So, number one, we better figure out why he is deflecting to that. Why is he protecting himself like that? So, when I say warm up, that would be one of the things I would be looking for, okay? So, then that might lead me to, okay, does he have um, limited ankle rocker? Does he have, you know, what's going to lead it from there? Um, And then sometimes, because there's so many athletes that come through, I'll put them on a program that I, I believe should give them X result. If it doesn't, I know that I need to change and reevaluate my first thought process. That makes sense. And in terms of programming for a specific individual, like obviously everyone is an N of one, but is there, is there a template? Is there guiding principles that underpin all your programming? And then within that, is that built in individuality towards that individual, depending on what they're needing? Like, so, like, if I, again, was, say, a football player and it was off-season and you had me for 12 weeks, like, how many times a week would you want me to train? And, like, what's, like, how would that look? And in terms of a session setup, like, how does that flow or what does that look like? Or is it purely down to what you're seeing that day? Like, so I suppose, like, if I walked in, like, do I go through some type of warm-up and then do I do some type of plyo and speed work and then is it my strength work and then is there a condition element at the end or do you like to keep qualities more separated throughout the week or, like, so, again, to give, maybe give context so you could maybe give a better answer is, let's say I had 12 weeks yep. off-season and I was living, like, right beside the facility and you had me for 12 full weeks and I'm a fairly intermediate qualified athlete, let's say, like, you know, so, like, I have a, a background in strength training and you've me for 12 weeks ready for American football, like how would that look or, you know, if, if, that, gives a, if that helps give some more yep. context? Yeah, well, again, when we sit down and we talk to the athletes, and usually their parents are with them if they're high school level athletes, or if it's a professional athlete that's coming in, I'm asking how many days a week do they have available. We've trained kids every day of the week. Yeah. I've trained guys twice a day every day of the week. So one of the things that, that I know from Jay Schroeder is overtraining is such a fallacy in this country. People are more undertrained than they are overtrained. Yeah, I've heard you say and this. When you stu- Go ahead. Uh, I've heard no I've heard you say this and, and just uh, it was a question that I was gonna pose to you and uh, um, you, you can get into maybe after this, but you I heard you state that you believe to get maximum recovery, you actually need to like uh, have like maximal output first, you know. So you're like maximum yeah, absolutely. Ma- maximal so output. Don't, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. If you don't stimulate the body maximally, then it's not going to recover maximally. It's mm. going to recover half ass 
And then you're stuck in the middle of, oh, have I recovered? Have I not recovered? Dr. Dr. Cruz talks about that exact thing with eating. Is your gas tank full? Is it half full? Is it empty? And sometimes we don't know. So we just start eating all the time. And when we're eating six meals a day, that's good for a deer. It's not good for human beings. So it's that same philosophy is give your body maximal. It'll recover maximally. Then you have a starting point and an end point. Mm-hmm. When you start getting into 70% maximum, 80%, ma- all these things that aren't challenging something over 95, 93%, I-, I believe that creates a lot of confusion. Sometimes that might be good if you're a long-term planner and, and you want to you know, roll the dice and say, I want to peak at this time. I- so that's another thing that I don't agree with is your training has to be able to evolve almost daily. And sometimes we can't be on it daily and it's got to be a weekly thing. But you have to constantly monitor where the athlete is at, and what just, they need, where the direction is going. Just on that, and again, I definitely want to get more into again the, the program stuff, so let's not forget that. But just on that too, like yeah. I, I suppose a lot of your work and, and a lot of stuff I see from Jay seems to be very centered around, again, the nervous system. And we know that the nervous system is that fast reacting system in terms of like it can change in an instant. So. Uh, whereas I suppose the other processes of the body, like the hormonal system or the endocrine system, if you will, like they're more slowly adapting. So maybe from a planning or if you want to use the term periodization standpoint and also looking at them through a training residual standpoint, they need to be looked at more chronically or long term. So maybe that's where things like maybe some maximal training are more paranoid in like maybe some of the adaptations they can elicit. Whereas obviously with the neurological system, then it's like that stuff can change like just within an instant. So Maybe it's the different systems being stimulated again, brain, different sort of residual effects and stuff like that as well. Because, again, as I was just saying, if it's neurological, it should change in an instant. And that's why the Douglas Heal stuff works because it's all through the brain. But maybe when we're getting down more to, like, hormonal or morphological adaptations that actually they need an an accumulated time period to adapt, maybe that's when those other training means and methods are are more needed or maybe that's what they're trying to stimulate more so. So that's just a concept. Myself and Joel Smith have, have discussed that before as well. Would uh, be interesting to hear your thought on that. Well, my, my thought process along that would be in, in Amy Cuddy's research out of out of Harvard was just simply standing in a position of power or at attention yeah. increases your testosterone levels by up to fifteen to twenty percent. No, I never, so I never read, I never, I never read that study. So, like, how good was that study set up? Is just one thing I've never read it. I've just heard that. So, it's still, I still haven't well, read here, that paper. The, yeah, here's the deal. You're gonna get. Any research article, you know, give give yourself a week or two and you can disprove anybody, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, do we really know that it does that? I, I haven't seen the blood work to actually show that. But I know this. If you put somebody at attention, their their workout for the next five minutes after that is different than if they didn't. Yeah. I can tell you that. Yeah. And again, with using that same research, why wouldn't I do that if it takes one minute out of my workout? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, definitely, yes. So when you watch, and I'll do it in different ways, Um, our football program, if you, everybody going through this huge thing with the national anthem, I have my guys, and I don't tell them this per se, unless I'm asked, they stand on the sideline, and I tell them they need to straddle the line, and they need to stand with their feet at least five inches outside the line with their hands on their hips. That's a position of power. We do it during the national anthem. So I'm tricking them into, of course, we stand for our country. 
Of course, we do all these things, but I'm also going to get a biological advantage out of that. That's good. <laughs> and so, uh, when they stand with the hands and the hips, to, 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 to like, do you or like when you stand for your anthem, do the Americans not put the hand on the heart thing? Like, no. They do, but there's a lot of people who are holding their helmets too, and a lot of people uh, don't put their hands on them. As long as they're standing in a position of attention. Yeah, yeah, that's gas. So we're paying our respects and. I'm getting a training benefit out of it. So we'll do that, right? So that's one way I trick them. The other way is learn from Jack Cruz. If your testosterone peaks between 4.30 and 5 o'clock, that's when our off-season training is for football. Mm. Well, Coach, why do we have to train so late after school? Well, this is the only time the gym is open. But in reality, their testosterone is peaking at the right time. So are there ways to manipulate hormone levels while you're training? Absolutely. Does it happen right away? Oh, it can. So I agree and disagree with that last statement. But Dan, if you were competing, let's say, at 2 p.m. or at 9 p.m. at night or in the morning, why would you want all your training then to be at 5.30? Because you're going to regulate your homeostasis, right? So when your homeostasis becomes, I can do this at any time during the day because of my training, then I win. Meaning, so that, that's one of my downsides of periodization is you're going to train all this time for one specific day or one specific week. I want to be able to have my nervous system do whatever I want, whenever I want. So if I'm training at times where I can get the most out of my training, then that's going to carry over into the times that I'm not at the best hormonal profile of the day. Mm, yeah, I suppose. So I'm taking that whole system and raising it so it doesn't matter when it is. You better have all your tools on game day because if you've got just your hypertrophy phase in and it's game day, you're screwed. If you've got just your neurological values in, you're screwed. You have to have the whole toolbox ready to roll. That's why in periodization, it doesn't make a lot of sense because if, if A is left back in the training cycle three months ago, and you're competing over here at Z. What happened to all those other qualities you were building along the way? Yeah, they can't, I, they I, can't do that. You I, know? I think I think too. It's it's down to interpretation. Like periodiz periodization means so many fucking things to me. It's like it's like the bleeding Bible. Yeah. It's like the Bible. The interpretation of it is just all over the place. Like like to me, it's just it's just programming and organization. Like what what you describe, what you do with your athletes to me is a form of periodization. But it just, it, again, it comes down to what people's perception or idea is of periodization. To me, it's just planning. And, I mean, it, it should be all encompassing. Like, you'll get these people, for instance, that, like, they kind of really misconstrue the works of, like, say, Greg Half, and then, cause, and then they misconstrue the work then of a John Kiley. So, like, people kind of look at Greg Half as, like, and Mike Stone as, like, these guys who are, like, pure periodization, dog, like, they're dogmatic about periodization, and everything is just, like you just peak for this day and you can't detract from the plan. And it's like, and then John Kiley's everyone takes John Kiley as no periodization is bullshit. And like the human organism is too dynamic and you have to, you know, you can't plan it all. It's all chaos and dynamic systems theory and chaos theory. And it's like, it's kind of like as Dan Pfaff would say, it's a spectrum. Like, you know, you do have a plan and a blueprint, but within that you need to realize that you have to be fluid because the human organism is so dynamic and it changes on such a moment to moment basis. So, there is no black or white with it. Like again, I think a lot of it just comes down to misinterpretation or just false assumptions people have or whatever belief systems they have around a certain topic. So, like again, what I'm trying to say is it's just all planning, so it isn't. 
uh, there's, there's nothing like that you said that I wouldn't have any disagreement with there whatsoever. Yeah. It, and again, it's, it's being locked into some type of theory that you believe overrides everything. And I, I'm going to be honest with you, if you're not training your brain, that's the theory. And if you're not teaching your body how to absorb force, then again, what, what are you doing? And, and exactly. somewhere along those lines is where athletes are going to get better. Yeah, exactly. And as we spoke about earlier on, like there's, there's just there's just so much we don't know and, and we'll never know in our lifetime about the human body. So to assume that like you have all this figured out with a with a, a particular type of training system is, is a bit ridiculous. Yep, yep. Uh, and so it's, it's kind of like... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, go no, ahead. Go ahead. You, you know, I, 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 was, I was about to ask another question, so you finish your talk there first. It's kind of like with, with, with Douglas's system. There's it's going to evolve and it's going to constantly be moving because there's not a one size fits all for everybody. Exactly. And I, and I've seen things in the RPR system fix everything, but I also know that there's some strong neural components that you can't change with just, you know, rubbing those activation spots. You have to do other things. You have to look away from where you think the issue might really be. Um, and that's a lot of what Jay taught me is, you know, what's, yelling the loudest is the pain is certainly not where the pain started. Yeah. Find out where it started, why it's getting there. And then you'll watch somebody change the way they move. Great stuff. So just going back to our question there. So we were just saying, if I was a, a football player with 12 weeks with you and I had as many yep. days as possible. So you were saying we left off and you were just saying that you, you could have people come in train every day. And, and then we kind of digress into that, that maximum output for maximum recovery. We got into our big spiel there then on program periodization. Yep, yep. Just go back to that. So I'm an athlete. I can train for 12 weeks. You were saying you, you interviewed the athlete and picked up from there. Yep. And again, if it's, if it's a high level athlete, I'm watching game film on them. I'm looking at nice. what are their weaknesses? Nice. Where do they need to get better in order to get better in their sport or their ch choosing, you know, whatever they're doing. Yeah. So, so with that, we'll create the program that's addressing the fundamental um, weaknesses of that athlete, whether it be change of direction, whether it be, um, you know, they're always getting hurt, whatever it might be that I think is holding them back is where we'll spend the, the majority of the time with. And so let's say you, you figure that out and I show up my first training session, like how would that go? Like, do I go in? Do you is my warm up individualized for me, or do you sort of have like a general sort of warm up that you feel kind of gets everyone prepped to prepped enough in terms of just readiness for that day, or is again is it more individualized? And then after the warm up, what do we do then? Is it into like our plyo yep. our plyo stuff or, or speed stuff, or is it straight into the biggest glaring area of weakness that you see you solve in the assessments? And how does that look? Well, the first thing is is our warm up and in in there's, there's a bunch of different ones that I do do in, in my gym. When athletes come in, they all do the same warm up, and it, mm. and it addresses a lot of different areas and it's, it's pretty neat. Um, and it's, it's a, a lot of different systems combined into one warm up. And I don't even like to call it a warm up because it's part of the training at this point, because it's very brain activating. Um, if you watch our football team warm up, it's very cerebellum based. Um, so I'll give you an example. One of the things that I learned is what we call good-sided exercises. And <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's simple. Um, and, and I'll give you an example. If you're, if you're sitting, I don't know what you're doing right now, but if you're sitting, if you go into shoulder flexion with your arm, if you bring your arm straight up 
one arm at a time and go back by your ear, keeping your arm as straight as possible, and you bring your arm back as far as possible. Do that now with your right arm. See where you're at. Uh, I, I'm in a slumped posture here, first of all. Which show is it? Yeah, stand up, stand up straight. Okay, and then do the left one and see if there's a discrepancy there. Yeah, they're, they're, like my left one feels freer than my right. Okay, your left one feels freer. Sometimes the left one will, or the right one will have pain. Sometimes the left one won't. Sometimes the left one goes back way further than the right one. So if I started in some type of shoulder strengthening for you right now, am I not enhancing a compensation pattern that's already there? Mm, I see what you're saying. Okay, so, so that left shoulder goes back further than the right, correct? Yeah, and, 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 and by the way, yeah, just so you know, the, there is a little bit of pain in my right shoulder too, so <laughs> you're right. <laughs> okay, okay. So now watch this. So most therapeutic sense people will say, okay, on that right side, we need to strengthen it. We need to work on your range of motion. Well, I don't have time for that shit in a warm-up. So the first thing we're going to do is I'm going to take that good side of the movement that you do have on your brain, on your left-hand side, and I'm going to tell you to do 10 shoulder raises, right, like you just did, and try to increase the range of motion at the end range on the left-hand side, your good side. Do that right now. Go 10 and bounce at the far end range of motion. Bounce it a few times and try to increase your range of motion on your left-hand side. And really challenge yourself. Good. Okay. Now, bring your right arm back. Tell me how much better it is. Definitely, uh, definitely, uh, no pinching at that time. And the, like, okay. there's definitely a noticeable. That's obviously got to do like the cross transfer effect, is it? Yep. No question. So now I would tell them if it worked, do one more set on your left-hand side, and then that'll have balanced everything out. So do one more set on that left-hand side shoulder flexion and really challenge your motion again. Good, yeah. Now go right side? Yep. Go right side one time only. Should be better. Like, again, subjectively, you're always going to say it is because you're on your end of the line and I want you to like me deep down as a person. So I'm obviously going to say, yes, I agree. <laughs> I don't give – you know what? I don't give a shit. <laughs> you cannot like me. It's okay. I'm, I'm good at that. I've no, but, 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 I, but uh, I, I see where you're coming. I actually thought you were going to do some trick in my eyes as well because, you know, eyes is the neck always works. I love that one. But, no, they're definitely – Absolutely can do that. Yeah. Right? So that's one part of our warm-up is – I make every kid that comes into my gym do an upper body shoulder movement, do a lower body, do a hip, do a leg, and I balance the body out before we even start. Nice. And do so, you do so you, again, do, so I, do you find that, that that after a while, as in an accumulated period of a training block, that do, like do they do they constantly have to do that reset every day, or does it become sort of does it kind of stick around more? You no, know, sometimes. Sometimes, the, like let's just use you for an example. Sometimes the right hand, the right shoulder will move back further, right? So then we're going to go to the right hand side. So sometimes that switches. We'll do it in some type of rotational movement. We do it in everything. I build that into the training program. Mm -hmm. If we're going to bench press, I'll go a one arm bench press first on the good side, and then I'll come to my bilateral movement, and then I'll finish with a cross crawl. 
Does that make sense? So now I've, ba- yeah, yeah. I've balanced the system and I've stimulated it. I've bench pressed heavy to get my heavy strength work done. And then I've reset my brain with my cross crawl. So that's what your workout would look like for your upper body. Okay. Okay. So but, is but there the warm up addressed it? Yeah. I get it. So there's a warm up and then. So after that warm up, then um, Dan, like, so w- what do we move into? So, it, like, is there a power and speed and strength components within every session? And then, in terms of like the ratio of distribution of those qualities, if, if there is, is it is you spe- you'll spend more time on one of those areas if you feel that's where the athlete needs to be. That's that's basically it. So again, there's not this precise. Okay, we are going to bench press three sets, five reps, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. That is based off, you know what I mean? I'm I'm getting you stronger, however, whatever means I need to, and I'm working on your mobility, and I'm working on your connection to your brain. Mm. Because ultimately, that bench press has to transfer you to you absorbing force in your upper body and dishing it out in football, not yeah. lying down on a bench press. Yeah. That's not going to, you know. So when you're transferring it into the actual sport, there has to be that connection to the brain of how I respond to that stimulus in the game. Yeah. So it's not as precise as writing down three sets, five reps. Um, we will bench press this time. Again, it's going to be based off of where I think they need to go to be better on the football field. And then in terms of like the setup, do you like to go up or lower total body again? Depends. Uh, like, so maybe total, total body every day. Total. Well, if they're training every day, yes. So it'll be total body all the time mm. with maybe a focus a little bit more on upper or lower body. I, I get you. I get you. Perfect. Perfect. You see what I'm saying? Because I, again, I, I think that's another issue is when you don't train your entire body, we play with our whole body. Why wouldn't we train our whole body? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, just moving into some other specific questions. Isometrics, uh, Dan, I know you're a big fan of isometrics. I know Jay Schroeder was too. And um, Maybe just speak about isometrics, how you use them. Do you use different types? As in, do you do overcoming versus yielding? I know you, you've spoken about like the kind of um, quasi-eccentric isometrics, like you know the rear foot elevated split squats and holding for time. And as you get fatigued, yep. you sort of start to sink down. I've read I've read stuff before that, that that seems to help diminish neural inhibition, so it kind of you know diminishes the goggle tendon organ inhibition, which then would lead to more force output. So maybe just speak about isometrics and off isometrics, and maybe you get into you you touched on this a little bit when we spoke with the national anthem, but with the isometrics, speak about this posture and position and why posture and position is so important, and you know the we kind of touched on it too, this idea of standing to tension. So like what what's really going on there with like isometrics and posture and positions. Yep. So, so I, I, I believe, and, and through Jay and, and, uh, and some other people that have talked about isometrics, uh, there's two different things that I think that it teaches. First of all, is position. Okay. Um, most of my young athletes that come in, if I just did positional isometrics with them, they'd get better. And when I say get better, I don't mean better bench presses, better, they'll be better runners. Mm. They'll be better on the athletic field. Yeah, I heard you say. I heard you say. People, I heard you say. Like parents are all like, "Oh my God, all that form running you're doing is really helping my kid." And you're like, "We we don't do form running." <laughs> yeah, very rarely do I do any type of form running. Um, you know, we'll do some of the Bosch drills if 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 I think they're ready to actually, you know, lift their feet off the ground without looking horrible. Uh, again, because my philosophy is is if you run like shit and you look like shit, 
why would I want to continue to run like shit and look like shit? Exactly. And just do that faster. Exactly. I think I think too, um, I think too is because that the knowledge of the technical model of, of sprinting, let's say, is it's not as well understood as it is in the classical weight room list because the weight room list is just so much easier to coach because they move so much slower and there's less moving parts. So like I think it's just a lack of education on the technical model of sprinting, even though now within that technical model, of course, there's going to be individual bandwidth in terms of people's movement variability. But I think it's just because like it's just a lack of education and ignorance maybe too that you know a lot of the classical strength coaches were just like squat bench deadlift power clean and just like uh, the sprint stuff yeah just go out there and, and we'll just turn a blind eye to that whereas it's the equivalent like letting someone run shit is the equivalent to like letting people like squat with their knees buckling and round the backs and deadlifts and lopsided bench presses so it's like why would we let it happen in, in sprinting but uh, sorry I, I'll let you continue there no that's exactly right I mean and that's that's basically it in a nutshell. So we're so when we're holding position, we're strengthening our postural muscles, all that stuff. So and then you can begin to see where people break down when they round their shoulders, when they when it's too much for them in terms of uh, what energy system you're training, all that stuff. So and I also think and, and I've been told this by a bunch of neurological people that when you're in an end range of motion, your brain knows how it got there. So it can fill in the loopholes, right? So if I'm in a split squat lunge and I'm holding that end position, the brain knows the running cycle. It knows that gait. It's a reflex. So if you're training the end ranges of it, you're going to get benefits through a full range of motion. So that's another reason why we use isometrics. Um, I use it for toughness. It teaches mental toughness. Um, it teaches that... Um, the reflex loops, all that stuff. And now what I've done with isometrics too, over the period of time and, and the younger kids evolved to this is we then start adding our, our eye saccades and training our eyes with it, um, which enhances the benefits even more. Um, so, so what, 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 what does, what does that look like? Do you mean like as someone's doing a split squat, they're doing, you have to do something with their eyes? Yes. Yeah, so, so, and we'll do this just about every day with most of our kids that train. Um, do you know what an isocot is? So if I'm flicking my eyes back and forth between two objects. No. Okay. So n no, yes. No, I, I don't know what that is. Okay. Okay. So, so when you focus your eyes on a target, let's say it's off to your left. So if you hold your two arms out in front of you and you put your thumbs up and you spread them apart in your visual field, and you got them pretty far apart where you can see both of them with yeah. both eyes. Yeah. What I want you to do, and this is a horizontal eye saccade. What I want you to do is, without moving your head, move your eyes to that target, fixate on the thumb, and then flick it to the other thumb as quickly as possible. But before you do that, okay, here's what I have kids do. Because everybody is specific to eye movements also. Okay? So I have them test some type of, internal or external rotation, touching their toes, some type of movement uh, that they could get a feel of, right? So they're going to test, let's say it's uh, shoulder internal rotation, right? So they'll test that. Then I'll have them do a horizontal isocod, and I'll have them test it. Sometimes it jams your system up and it doesn't feel so good. Sometimes it clears where you were before, so you get an increased range of motion through that joint, Okay. If they didn't get a range of motion increase, I have them do a, a vertical saccade where their thumbs are up and down. They'll do that. Okay. 
sometimes that gives them, it frees them up. Sometimes it jams them up. So if you watch our football team warm up, part of it is some type of isocod to challenge that side of the brain. And where did you, okay, so, where, where, where did you learn that from then? Well, Carrick does that all the time. Yeah. So, to yeah. stimulate certain parts. Um, there's the AMA, AMN Academy who does that. I also know, um, what's the name of the guy that, um, Joel was talking about it. What's, um, so it's Dr. Harris. No, no. Um, Z health. Z oh, Z health. Yeah. yeah. Eric, Eric, Dr. Cobbs. Yep. But there's yeah, a lot they does, do more does, isometrics. Mm. Does, but, um, does but, yeah, I mean, anybody who's into, into neurology will, will knows what an isocot is. Yeah. Yeah. There's another guy, so Jeff, now, Jeff, how, there's another guy, Jeff Meyer talks about, I think it's Dr. Harrison. I think he, he's a visual, he does a lot of supervision as well. Yep. And, and then, so, so now they're doing those isocods with their 30 second isometric hold. So now I'm, I'm stacking two stimuluses. Mm. Make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So that, that's part of my motor learning training and strength training. We can do that before a bench press. We can do all types of things to stimulate brain activity before we do the ensuing exercise, whether it be plyometric in nature or strength in nature. And what I'm starting to realize and understand and evolve to is that it really doesn't give I don't give a shit what you do in the weight room of how you do it. If you're stimulating your brain before, during, and after, and when I mean during, I'm talking about complex movement patterns to stimulate your brain, then you're making people better. Yeah. Yeah. I heard you say on Joel's podcast that the most under-trained muscles in the body are the muscles of the eye. So... That made me start to oh, yeah. pre appreciate vision more. And is there any other particular things you do? Do you assess vision as well in your intake? And then do you do any specific training protocols with vision? And just off vision, yeah. then maybe um, to get into like how important the vestibular system is and, and maybe some ways of how you manipulate that too. Yeah. When you, when you talk vision, I think there's, there's two different trains of thought here. There's actual vision in, in how you react to certain objects coming at you and can you train your reaction system off your vision. I, I believe that's one style of training, and I'm not trying to minimize that. I think that's good stuff. Um, I know Jeff Moyer does a lot of that stuff. When I'm talking about the brain and the eyes, I'm talking about the eyes are the gateway to your brain. That's how we can evaluate your brain activity. So that, that's that's the easiest way in. What do, what, what, do blind, what, what do blind people do? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Talk to Jack Cruz. And again, you talk about worlds evolving. Their circadian biology is all screwed up. Yeah. And that's why they can't sleep. And then you get into all that other stuff. So the, the, the eyes are a huge part of that. Now, eyes still track when you're blind, right? So there has to be some type of visual acuity added to that. So when the eyes do flick, there's a sound to it. Um, don't know as much in terms of how you have to add your, you know, your, your ears to that part of it. But from a reflex standpoint, absolutely. Um, you know, I'll do things to loosen up neck muscles based off of, of the reflexes of the ears. Yeah. Like you can tug on somebody's ears and it releases the muscles on that side of the body because we have a reflex in our body. That's like dogs. When you hear a whistle and a dog's ears turn, we have that same reflex. Nobody ever sees it, though. It's so downregulated in our system. But if you stimulate that, you get the same response. Yeah, sure. There, there's, so re there, there's research out there on even like um, 
how mag- mag- magnetic frequencies in terms of like sound waves can heal tissues and stuff like that. I know you were you mentioned that too in regards to like uh, I think it was heavy isometrics and tendons to a metrodome. But I, I've seen other stuff too. Like there's videos out there on Ron Rusker from the Postal Restoration shoot where he he gets earphones and puts them into people's ears and, and he plays a frequency and then he gets them up to walk or he'll do an orthopedic test and the test has gotten worse and he plays another frequency in their ear and the test gets better. And, just like stuff like that, but what I always find funny is pe- people are always amazed, like, "Oh my god, that can't be true." It's like, but like if you study the nervous system, this all just makes complete sense. Like it's it's not magic at all, really. And people are afraid of that. I, I'm like, I can't get enough of that. There's yeah, a guy yeah. in 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 Europe right now. I'm trying. I'll have to send you his his stuff. I I don't even remember his name, but he was a, he's a frequency guy, and vibrations and all that stuff. But if you look at the, again, you go back to Dr. Cruz and you talk about mitochondria and cell membrane, you talk about all that stuff, that's influenced by light, yeah. by vibration, by sound, all those things. Yeah, so, so it's, uh, well, it's water, magnetism, and, uh, and light are the three big ones. Yep. And what's cool about that is, in, in, uh, in the school I'm teaching at now, is we're going to actually create some curriculum around that because people have no idea how to make science in school functional to your health. And that, like that, when you're studying photosynthesis, you're studying it for the trees and oh, yeah. what it means. Why don't you study it for your life? Because it, it can make you healthier. Exactly. And just uh, while, while we're talking about Jack there and we're talking about eyes <laughs> and, and, and vision, um, do you do anything in terms of circadian, circadian rhythm or circadian biology or circadian optimization with your athletes? Like, I think you were kind of saying there, like, uh, so for instance, like, will you not train after a certain time under artificial lighting in your facility due to circadian disruption? Do you, do you abide to any principles there because of that? <laughs> you say that and I start getting anxiety because by rights, we shouldn't be training under those fluorescent lights and all that shit. Um, what I, I can tell you what I try to do. I try to minimize the damage that we create during the course of the day through all the other stuff that Jack talks about, right? So I can tell you this, Saturday mornings for my football team are the following, and and people think I'm crazy. We have our shoes off, walking barefoot in the wet grass. Nice, grounded, To some type of, absolutely, we're we're gaining our electrons, right? While while they're listening to either some type of, of monk hymns or something trying to get our parasympathetics back on track. Nice. So... That's part of our recovery process. I don't tell them exactly why we do it because they'll think I'm crazy. So I start off, they walk barefoot, and I have them listen to their music that they want to listen to. And then I challenge them to listen to different music while they're doing it. Um, And our injury rate on our high school football team in the last five years is, I I can't even talk about it because people wouldn't believe it. So it's it's hard to talk numbers because it'll be like, well, that's bullshit. You're just lying or you're doing this or that. But from my coaching staff, they watch it. They're like, the shit that you do, we don't get hurt. Well, soft tissue injuries are, we don't have them. I think we, in five years, we've had two concussions. Um, and, and again, could that be what we do? Sure. But I'm going to tell you, I, just like standing at attention, I'm not going to not do something because someone disproved the research. You know? So, again, if, you, if you're listening to this podcast, everything circles back to all the great minds somewhere along the line, you better be addressing it in your training. 
So well, we've talked about Jack Cruz 50 times. Jack Cruz doesn't train athletes. I know. Yeah, well, it, he's got it, nothing to do with that. It, 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 if you look at it, it, it all just comes back to first principles. So I'm very good friends with James Smith. And, like, the more I talk to James, it's just, like, everything comes back to first principles. And, like, the more you can know science, the better your filter is and the better your understanding of reality will be. So there's a guy, Jim Alcalidi, and it actually was Jack who I got this from. And, and another friend of mine, Danny Lennon, but Jim Alcalidi has a book called Life on the Edge, and it's a, it's a book on quantum biology. But basically, Alcalidi uh, says, now actually I haven't officially read the book, but I've heard him speak, but one of the things Alcalidi has said is that if you really want to understand life and the universe and reality, you need to know biology. And then everyone's like, oh, I agree, I agree. And then he's like, yeah, but to understand biology, you need to know chemistry, because chemistry underpins biology. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. And then he goes, but to further understand chemistry and biology, you need to know physics because <laughs> physics underpins ke- chemistry and biology. And then everyone's like, OK, I see where you're going with this. And then he goes, but finally, to understand. Quantum. Yeah, but he's like, to understand physics, then you need to know mathematics. And he's like, because maths underpins physics. And then, yeah, and, and it, within physics itself, you have obviously Newtonian and then you've got quantum or the uh, yeah, quantum physics. But so basically, he's like you have biology, which is underpinned by chemistry, which is underpinned by physics, which is underpinned by maths. And it, like, if you can really understand that hierarchy very well in terms of knowledge and critical thinking and science, is like you'll realize that like everything is connected. Because like everything at the fundamental level, currently from what we know from quantum physics is it's just energy, vibration, and frequency. So. I mean, that's why all this stuff we're talking about, like in terms of like playing a metronome for tendon healing or putting frequencies in the ears or stimulating light frequencies into the eye. I mean, really, like when you step back and think about it, like this actually makes complete sense. It's not voodoo at all. Like there actually is fairly solid science that supports these concepts. And, and the thing about it is, and, and this is where my head goes. So, so you talk about what do you do during the course of the, the gym workout to make it better? So if I did some type of stimulation and in jail, will talk about this all the time and I got this super maximal result, then I have to be able to recover from it. And then somehow I have to make that the body's new homeostasis and that's training. So I don't care how you get there. That's training. Yeah. So yeah, if that, you yeah. can take that. Get there. Go ahead. Yep. No, if you can take that level, and continue to elevate it by impacting, you know, there's got to be a, a sensory stimulation to get a motor output, right? Absolutely. If you can take that philosophy and, and continue to go with that, kids will get better. But Absolutely. you have to have a base foundation of, of basic posture. It's got to be, you got to get that set. And then sky's the limit. I mean, yeah. I, I've had college coaches walk through my gym and go, why doesn't our strength coach do stuff like this? See the- like, Just because it looked, the, uh, meat doesn't mean yeah go ahead like no I'm, I'm just i'm just completely agreeing with you because if you listen to my interview with joel smith on his podcast like we touched on this and i spoke about this and that so like again if we peel it back to like kind of first principles or the underpinning philosophies what we're really going back to here in terms of training like it really is all stress physiology so like it's brain and we're training the brain and the nervous system, and we're trying to uh, raise the brain's stress threshold so that what was previously perceived as a threat to the system is now it's now much more of a, sub, a submaximal load. So again, like if you can elevate the 
the output of the brain, like if you can exceed what it's going to experience in the environment of competition, well, then competition is like going to be sub-maximal. It's going to be so much easier to that specific organism. Um, and then see where we get caught up is, and by we, I mean like the larger strength and conditioning community, we get caught up in the means that elicit these adaptations. So people think that to, to, to prepare now, oh, I have to squat, I have to power clean, I have to do X, Y, and Z. And then when they turn around and see someone like yourself use, using other means and methods that are so foreign, they're like, no, that can't be right. How, how, how could you get an athlete to do that if they didn't squat or bench or deadlift? or, or that? And what they need to realize is that it's all about input and then output. Like, so all, all of these different means are just different ways to tap into the, to the nervous system. And we're just hoping that it will elicit the output that we get. So if I'm squatting and benching and, and, and they're the inputs and they're not giving me the outputs that I need in terms of preparing the brain and the nervous system and the organism for the environment that we're going to compete in, well, then they're the wrong means and methods to use at that current time. So I think just people are a little bit confused in that like that the, the squat and bench and deadlifting or any other type of exercise are just means to... Uh, they're just means to act as windows into the nervous system to hopefully get the sensory output that we want they're the input that's the output we want but sometimes they're they, they'll have a diminished return and they're not the input that will get us any further or increase our, our adaptation further to elicit greater um greater performance uh, benefits and enhance the athlete so i think that's where a lot of people get confused and like just before i let you speak there as well i, I I've, I've often spoken about this too is that a lot of people are very, very, very confused around the word strength. So when I say strength training, people always think about like lifting weights. And what they need to realize is that strength is a biomotor quality, like speed and power. Strength training is a misnomer. That's resistance training. Strength is just a biomotor quality. Like you can get stronger not lifting weights. Like you can do it from doing depth jumps and drop jumps. Like we can increase your strength. So really what we're doing is force training and force is mass times acceleration. So people, again, it's, it's a misnomer to say we strength train. Really what you're doing is you're force training. And then to increase force output of your organism, there's so many different means and methods. So like as you spoke about, that just comes back again to brain and nervous system and allowing the nervous system to express our true force output capability. So damping down neural inhibition, damping down the goggle tendon organs and muscle spindles, taking that those handbrakes Muscle off. slack, all that. Yeah, muscle oh, slack, all that stuff. All that I stuff. I mean, when Franz Bosch, yeah, when Franz Bosch talks about power production, he makes people think. Like it's very specific to how fast you can move that load, right? So yeah, yeah. If, if when you start adding load and you're talking about rate of force development compared to what, yeah. right? So what are you comparing it against, right? Then there's muscle slack. Do you have the preparation of that, of them taking the slack out of the muscle? There's so many good research articles that he's produced that, that go into that. So yeah, again, it's so, I don't, and again, I don't care what philosophy you subscribe to, you better be addressing your brain. Yeah. And there's really not a bad philosophy. Like, you're a power lifter and that's what you do. That's great. But make sure you address the brain on the other end of that. Well, I, I, or, don't, I don't even, like, again, and that comes back to confusion. I wouldn't call power lifters or limited philosophies. They're more like, again, they're more the means or methods or ideologies. A, a philosophy is maybe something a little bit deeper, you know, in terms of, you know, going back to maybe something that's more underpinned by first principles. And again, but, the, but that's where the confusion comes into is and like people think that that they have to utilize like they're confusing methods with principles basically they're like they're like yeah. said they're, they believe that for an athlete to get better they need to do x y and z and it's like no 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 x y and z can be substituted by a b and c 
as long as they give us the output and result that we want. As you said, I don't care what you do as long as you get the, the desired output. Right. That's what we're exactly. For. It's all about input to exactly. the nervous system to get the output that we're looking for. So, uh, yep. Dan, yep. I, want, I want to be respectful here because you probably have to go, but uh, just um, you spoke about this inverted twitch, like the, the doing things like ultra, ultra slow to learn technique, and you're saying like it gives like this inverted like twitch, it like turns on like type two fibers even though you're going really, really fast. And um, maybe could yep. you just touch in on to that. I found that very fascinating. Yeah. Um, well, again, the first time I heard about extreme slow stuff was Jay. And then I read a book called The Talent Code. Yeah, Daniel Coyle. Ever heard. Yeah. yeah. No, well. Right. So he talked. What's that? I know it well. Yeah. So he talks about him going to these different places and, and looking at um, the base qualities that these teachers who teach the best in the world and what they teach. And he, and he was he was talking about doing something extremely 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 slow, right? So then then you start looking at in order to move that slow, you have to go into inverted. It's almost like a an electric muscle stimulation has that inverted quality where it attacks the fast twitch first, mm. right? So so when you're talking about motor learning and you're talking about um, just moving more purely or teaching a movement. I don't think there's anything better than extremely slow. Now it's not um, it's not that type of training where you're doing um, Mike one Men set Mike, to Mike, failure. Mike, Mike yeah. Menzer. Mike so Menzer. Yeah, yeah. It's not that, it, but it's doing something extremely slow. So there is now a brain connection to it, and you are thinking about that movement the entire time you're doing it. So whether you're doing it extremely, extremely, extremely slow or extremely fast, I believe it's the same thing. And then finally, just a different ways. Just with the uh, with the vision training, just real quickly, you spoke to on Joel's podcast about putting different colors and spectrums into the eye. Do you utilize any of that with your athletes, or is that just something you've read into? Yeah. No, we do. We do. Uh, I have well, I have a couple different things. I have a bunch of different colored lenses that we use, and we find super colors. We call them because your body will respond to color. Your your hormones will respond to different colors. Have you got um, have you got exactly. any have you got any literature like on that or stuff you could send so we can read up on that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um go to iLights. Um just type in iLights. Cool. Dr. Peter Gillette created them. Um he's awesome. Wow. He uh he's probably the guy who created light. Well, if you talk about talk to Dr. Jack Cruz, right? Everything is light. So if we can now get light to the brain, to the motor cortex, all these things, different things can happen. So mm. we do use light. Um we use I do, I, I do a bunch of different things. So we'll do um, colored lenses, and I'll find their super color. So sometimes they're training with their super color on. Um, we will do um, eye dominant stuff where I'm finding out their left side, right side dominant eye, and we'll put light into the weaker side um, to balance the brain. And by balancing the brain, you are going to get a better motor output. Mm -hmm. Big time, big time. Dan, listen, I want to wrap up here because, again, I want to be respectful of your time. And uh, uh, yep. I'm, I'm definitely going to get you back on. Like, if, you, if you're not in any rush, it's, that's all right. But, uh, again, I want to be respectful. But uh, just wrapping up with a few little questions here. In um, in terms of your top resources, uh, what would be your mm -hmm. top your top resource? And these resources have been a training resource, nutrition, uh, anything to do with lifestyle, functional medicine, spirituality, self-development, whatever. What, what would be your top resources? And it could be books, courses, DVDs, online, people you've went to visit. I suppose we've named a lot of people. Jack Cruz is definitely one anyway for the listeners. 
I'm going to tell you that's the best one. And, and again, if you are a strength trainer, if you are a therapist, if you are a chiro, if you are an alternative medicine person, I think Dr. Jack Cruz with that three-legged stool is where you start. And you're going to take your base level of learning from that and you're going to develop where you want to go. So you, I, I think Dr. Jack Cruz is there. That's are, the you, uh, are, you, um, are you a member on his website? I have been. Um, I've done a lot of that. I've done the consults. I've done all that stuff. Um, talked to him a few times personally through emails. I'm not, a, am I still a member? Yeah, I think I am. I forgot my passcode though. So it's tough to get in, but I follow him constantly. So, um, I think Dr. Heikotter out in, um, out in Illinois is a phenomenal resource on, and I'm doing this now with essential oils and, and frequencies and stuff like that. So we're doing some, some field testing on some of her products now, which are pretty crazy. Um, Jay's, uh, I'd say, I'd say the evidence-based people must hate you. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, again, I, but I don't care who I piss off as long as I can learn something. Yeah. I'm the same. Um, Dr. Dr. Kerry Egan, Dr. Peter Gillette with the eyelights mm, and stuff. Mm. It's, it's crazy. And again, the more I talk about it, the more nervous I get that I don't know. And, and, it, and again, just listening to you talk, I'm connecting more dots. And that's all that this is, is don't ever stop connecting dots. I'm because, a I'm a dot connector. Just yeah. That's right. Yep. Uh, I mean, would Jack you? Jack Cruz calls it a mitochondriac. I mean, I, I just, it's, it's crazy when you can see Eastern medicine, Western medicine, and you listen to them talking. They're so opposed to each other. But if you just really listen to the fundamental all, concept all the same it, shit. I'll give you an example. There's meridians and then there's reflexes. Yeah. One, one, American Medical Association will talk about reflexes. They can't deny them. Well, the Chinese talk about meridians. What's the difference? Same damn thing. I can torque a meridian and turn the skin and get a response, or I can hit a reflex and get the same response. What's are, the difference? Are you familiar with the work of uh, Bruce Lipton? I am not. Explain it, and I'm sure at some point. Oh, I'd, I'd say you'd love it. So Lipton has a, he's a few books, but his most famous book is The Biology of Belief. So Lipton was a classically trained cell biologist, and he used to lecture like to all the conventional medical students back in the day. And he was educated in you know genetic determinism and Newtonian physics rule of the universe, and you know that like basically you you can't change your personality. And then he realized, holy shit, that that fucking um, yeah. Well, he, he yeah he he realized he realized that it's it's not like it's not genetic determinism. It's all about epigenetics. It's not about Newtonian epigenetics. Physics. Yeah. Yeah. It's not about Newtonian physics. It's about quantum physics, and it's not about uh, having a fixed conscious brain, um, or it's not about having a fixed subconscious mind. You can actually change your conscious mind and change your belief systems. So basically, his book biology revolves around um, epigenetics over genetics quantum quantum physics over Newtonian physics and the knowing the difference uh, of having a subconscious belief system versus your actual conscious beliefs and uh, what he what he basically sort of outlines in the book is that like people think that science so this is just going back to you at west versus east he's like people think that science and, and spirituality are two separate entities or there are two things at either end of the spectrum he's like they're the exact same fucking thing when you bring them down to a quantum level they're just basically about energy and vibration and frequency. And it's like, it's all, it's That's all awesome. shit. I want to read that book. Yeah. It's, awesome. it, it, you, you'll, that. you'll, you'll literally read it in a day. It's only 177 pages, but that, 
that was that's one of when people ask me for a book reference that's the, that's the first book I, I tell it that book along with Mastery from Robert Greene are probably the two best books I recommend everyone you know what's crazy I just spent the last 10 years of my life figuring that out and I could have fucking read it in a book in five minutes yeah, that's well, great you should he, he's all over YouTube too he, he's got <laughs> He's got some fantastic lectures on YouTube too, uh, Bruce Lipton, uh, and it's all to do with the book. Like, and he talks about like his whole like come to Jesus moment. And, that, now, and he's not so when I say come to Jesus, I mean that as a saying. Not, he doesn't actually like find Jesus. Yeah, uh, I get it. I get um, it. But he, he's a top, really, really top, uh, top um, resource. He's very good. So that's great, Jack. Is your that's top awesome. Jack, Jack's your top resource. What would your What would your top advice be to all the top advice? Advice. Trying to say that well to all of the listeners. And again, this could be any life advice, coaching advice, anything at all. Um, I, I tell this to even all the famous strength coaches that I get a chance to talk to. Don't shut somebody out because you think they're crazy. Listen to them. Mm. Don't have to believe everything they say. Listen to them because you're going to find a nugget because when you're passionate about something and you begin to talk about it, there's a lot of truth to it. Sometimes we get so like some of these people like, like Jack, Dr. Cruz, he gets so driven into his message that some people will say, well, he's crazy, right? Well, he should be crazy. He's that focused on what he believes and what he's proving from a scientific standpoint. Some people listen to half of that and then walk out of a room. I've listened to more so-called quacks talk about medicine and or movement and or something. People don't want to hear it. I want to listen to everybody. And I want to have them be heard. And then, then I can digest what I like and yeah. what I don't like and what I can make sense in my world and what I'm smart enough to understand. Like when, when Jack gets really involved in science, I, I'm not there. I can't do that. But I can trace it back to practical things that I can use in my life and my athlete's life. And that I, I will do. Like when we're talking about blue light, you can talk about people get all crazy about some stuff. Wear this, do that you have to understand that it's real. Blue light is real. When it impacts your melatonin and all that stuff, figure out a way that you can deal with it in your life, at least a little bit. Yeah, well, it's funny you, right? say, it's, so, it's funny you say that because it's, uh, it's just gone 6.30 here in Ireland and it's January and it's pitch black and I'm in my, my pitch black room here with my blue blockers on. And, uh, so that, I got that, mine on too, buddy. It, <laughs> that's gas. But uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're 100% right. Like I, I always uh, have this sort of like funny little saying. I go, the only dogmatic belief I have is not to have a dogmatic belief. So yeah. that, yep. so yeah, it should be, yeah. Uh, but it's funny too. I, I often say to people, I, you know, I often say this as well as that, uh, you don't want to be closed minded and everyone's like nods their head and go, Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. And I say, but you don't want to be open minded either. And everyone goes, Oh, oh, oh where's he going with this? And I was like, you need to be critically minded. And, and also it's, 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 like the answer is always like somewhere in the middle. Like like Dan Faft always talks about spectrums. So like I'm always like if you ever meet someone who's at the extreme end of, of a certain spectrum, I always like be very cautious because usually the answer is always somewhere in that middle ground. And I always say as well like I know enough to know that I know very little, or as I say, I know enough to know that I know fuck all. Yeah, yeah. I, like if you take a look at like Ray Pete stuff and yeah. then Dr. Jack Cruz's stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. There you go. I, I think Ray Pete's brilliant. I I kind of lean towards a little bit more of what Dr. Cruz says. Uh, then then your philosophy of what you truly believe kind of shows. But I want to listen to everything. Yeah, I want to hear it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it's just going back to critically thinking too. Like 
because you, you'll often get like obviously conventional medicine it, it always fucking it, it's always like the, the sense of the feeling you get is like anything outside of conventional medicine is quackery and bullshit and then like everything sort of from the alternative world is like they, they they do the exact same but just in reverse order they like they look at conventional medicine and go oh it's all money and they're all evil bastards it's like well they're not, there's good to be taken from both entities here so let's not throw the baby out of the bathwater so again going back to that sort of middle ground in, in the spectrum yep no question no so question. Da, Dan my last my last question here for you um but uh, and I'm sure this will happen at some stage. I'm like, oh, Dan, I have I have a week or two off here. Do you know what? I'm gonna fly out and spend some time with you. And you'll be like, no, no, you're you're crazy. You're not coming here. But anyway, let's say I, let's say I show <laughs> I, I show up at your uh, at your gym or your your house that's on a little island that, that you told me about. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. great. But mm-hmm. and yeah. I say I say, Dan, listen, we're going for dinner, right? And I've I've brought my magical powers with me, and you're like, what are you? What's this guy on? And like my magical powers allow me to bring people back from the dead. So my question to you is, we're going to dinner, me and you. And you can invite five people to dinner, dead or alive. Who are you going to bring to dinner and why? Hmm. I would love to talk to Jesus. <laughs> I'd bring him to dinner. I'd bring Dr. Jack Cruz to dinner. Well, that's interesting already. Oh, gosh. That would be a good one, wouldn't it? Um, I wonder I would Jack, Jack, Jack would be like, Jesus, you know, you reach me wearing blue blockers. He's like, I'm Jesus Christ. That, that still doesn't affect me. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a great conversation. Um, I'd like to have Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi, how about it? What the hell's going on um, out there? That's right. Um, I'll tell you what, for, for shits and giggles to add to it, I'd love to have Louis Simmons come over again for dinner with that group. That would <laughs> fucking go over well. My um, God! So we have we have we have Jesus, we've got Jack, we've got Vince Lombardi and Louis. Holy! You can imagine what Louis be saying. Do you need any more? You you got you got one more. You can imagine Louis with Jesus. Yeah, you're, you're too skinny. You're too skinny. Yeah, you got to put on some weight. <laughs> um, and then I'd bring my grandfather, who's nice. not around anymore. Nice, nice. He's kind of grounded. He grounded everything. Man, that's a pretty slick. So. Uh, that's a pretty slick lineup right there. So, listen, Dan, because you, you got to be able to bust. You got to be able to bust balls, and you got to be able to learn, and then you got to have something to believe in. And uh, just let, what, what are you ordering? What do you have to eat? Oysters. Nice. I say. I wonder what would Jesus just go with the old wine and bread. I just have wine, bread, and fish. <laughs> but that, and that's the thing. Like, you, do you know? Have you ever heard of? Uh, have you ever done any um, research on Dr. Eric Serrano? Oh, I I know Eric. I've met Eric. Okay, he's awesome, right? He's one of he's, my, he's 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 awesome. He's absolutely hilarious. Oh, he's the best. So so when he talks about you know uh, DHA and and fats and everything, and he he always talks about Jesus ate fish and everything. Jesus also ate bread. So when we talk about carbohydrates being terrible, Jesus ate bread. So it, it it's a that's a problem. Well, but, that's uh, that's uh, that, that, that's if there was a Jesus, and if that book is telling the truth, which we don't know about. And also, too, like who says <laughs> who says carbs are bad anyway? You know. Right, right, right. It's well, all about time. Depending it's, on where where you live. Yeah, time of year, perspective, latitude, lighting. We all we all we all get it. Just people listening to me and you right now, and they're like, "What are these two fucking mad bastards on about?" Exactly. It's exactly. great. Dan, where can uh, if if anyone listeners wanted to get in contact with you, how how could they go about doing that? wannagetfast.com um, and, and Robbie as, con- as contrary as it may seem like it was hard to get a hold of me I, I love 
talking like this. I learned a ton today just talking from you. Um, I love this. It's my passion. Love to talk about it. I love to talk about things that nobody wants to talk about in terms of put it out there. Oh, man, out there. I'll, I'll talk. I'll talk all day, my man. I'm, uh, I'm just a fucking chatterbox. So it's gas. Like I'm, I'm unbelievably introverted when it comes to so, like social aspects. Like I love just being at home, like so am I studying. But like when I'm one on one, it's like there, there ain't no holding back. I'll tell you all the details right down to the underwear. <laughs> well, I, I tell you what, you should come out here. I'll take you to my Irish friend's bar, and we'll watch McGregor fight, and we'll talk shop. That'll well, be a fun night. Well, I've I no problem going to a bar, but would you believe I'm a unicorn? I'm an Irish person who does not drink. Holy shit. Yeah. yeah it's okay. You can still swear and everything. Oh, that's all. I, I'll make up for it with the swearing, don't you worry. But uh, listen, I'm just, I'm just going gonna to wrap up the, the end of the podcast here, and then uh, I'll say goodbye to you offline. So, guys, what? Okay, buddy. What an unreal episode with Dan Victor. I knew it was going to end up like this. This is why I wanted to get you on because I was like, there's so much to we're just we're just going to we're just going to connect on right now. It's just going to be unreal. So that was even better than I had anticipated. So for everyone listening, another absolute whopper podcast in the books. Please do share this out. Um, I just want to thank Dan again for his time, and I'm definitely going to get Dan back on without a question. Um, so th- that's going to be awesome. So for everyone listening, thanks for your time, guys. Uh, as I always say at the end of every show, I will talk to everyone soon. Take care, be well, and stay strong. Mm-hmm.